Hey, let's jump into this. Last week we kicked off a new series called Flatirons Inc. Uh, this, we've done this before, but this one we're calling Marked, where we're looking at different things that throughout our life um, have touched our lives. Maybe sometime when we ran from God or made some bad decisions, or, or maybe when some other people have run from God and their bad decisions kind of fell on us. But either way, different things in our life, different circumstances have, have touched us and left us different. Kind of left a permanent mark, kind of like a tattoo or a scar or a memory. But whatever it was from that moment on, it changed us permanently. Sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, but different, definitely marked. And just like our tattoos, a lot of us that have tattoos, um, those, those tattoos, those marks kind of tell our story, kind of our journey through life, even our journey with God. But also in this series, we are going to work our way through probably one of the most famous Bible stories. Even if you don't, have never read the Bible and this is your first time in church, you've heard something about this story before. It's the story of a guy named Jonah. All right. And where we left off last week was this. God told Jonah to go and do something. And Jonah's response was very similar to the response I have. And God tells me to do something. The prayer goes like this. Dear Heavenly Father, no. Amen. Right. I mean, that's probably my most common prayer. And so that's what he told. No, thank you. And then he took off and he ran from God. Technically, he didn't run from God. Technically, he sailed away from God. All right. Now, here's the thing is, Scott touched on this last week. But if you've never taken notes in church, write this down. This is worth getting whatever you had to let go of today. Write this down. If you ever decide that I'm going to try to run away from God, the last thing you want to do is get on a boat. All right. I mean, it's just, it's just horrible. Just don't, don't do that because the truth is nothing exposes how much of your life is out of your control more than getting on a boat. Now, last week, Scott you know, shared his new tattoos with you and the story behind them. And I don't have any new tattoos, but I have a whale story. All right. It's an awesome whale story. And if you were here five years ago, I shared this story. And, and so, but most of you weren't here five years ago, so it's new. And if you were here, tough to suck it up. Here we go. All right. But this is a, this is a true story. You can ask my wife. This is true. But several years ago, Rob and I, we were, we, I was a youth pastor back in Kentucky. And we had a chance to go to a, a youth pastor's conference in San Diego. And so we went. Because it was San Diego. <laughs> now, we didn't go. I don't know if he went to the conference. But anyway, we went to San Diego, all right? And so here's the thing is, um, at, at San, in San Diego, at certain times of the year, whales go up and down the coast, all right? They're going down there to have babies and going up there to eat something, all right? Whatever that is. They go up and down. And you can go out in boats and rent boats and go out there. And so Rob and I are like, no, oh, because we love Discovery Channel. And we were raised in Indiana, both of us. And there, we don't have many whales there. And so, so we, we made a reservation. We found the pamphlets. Like, yeah, guaranteed whales and stuff like that. So we, we, we found out the time made the reservation, all that kind of stuff. We went down to the pier and there were five of us on this boat, which should have been our first clue because that was capacity. So we're like, oh, wow, just five of us. All right. So then, all right. And this is going to sound kind of sexist and mean. I don't mean for it to, but it is. But here it is, is that our captain came bippity bopping up the, the gangplank or whatever. And she was like 14 with a ponytail. Now, when I, when I think of captain, I don't want a 14-year-old little girl with a ponytail. I just don't. I want an old man with a stump and a patch. That's what I want. <laughs> because that guy knows what he's doing, you know? So anyway, but she's like, okay, let's follow me. All right. So she's like chewing gum and we go down onto the pier and she, she shows us her boat, which is called a dinghy, which actually is dinky. All right. Because it's, I promise it's the size of my, it's the size of my dining room table and it's inflatable. 
This is not what I was thinking, all right? Because I watch Discovery Channel. There's some weird crap out there in the Pacific Ocean, all right? So anyway, so we get in there, and she's like, here we go. And off she went with a little ponytail. And we're like, and Robin loves, she loves whales. Of all the animals, she loves whales. So she's like looking for them. And finally, we go about three miles out into the ocean, all right? Also known as the kill zone, I think. But anyway, so we go wait three, three miles out into the ocean. And finally, the captain says, there they are. Now, there's a rule that you can't get within a quarter mile of the whales. And so we're like, oh, there they are. And you see this, Little thing, you know, come up, the, that stuff, you know. So anyway, so we're like, oh, that's really, really cool. Then our captain turns off the motor and goes, uh-oh, now. <laughs> when you're in an inflatable boat three miles out in the Pacific Ocean, the last thing you want to hear your 14-year-old captain of an inflatable boat say is, uh-oh. <laughs> she turns off the engine and she goes, shh. One of the whales has turned around and has come back to look at us. And she's right underneath of us. And the reason, that's what I said. And the reason that she turned off the motor is she didn't want to cut, cut the whales back. So I'm in the boat. Robin's crawling up. She's like, I want to see this. And I'm like going, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I, I'm, I'm not cussing. I'm calling out to my Lord. All right. And so it's like, so it's like okay, so we're there. And, and all of a sudden, okay. And Robin's right up there in the little bow of the dinghy. All right. And all, that whale comes up out of the water, like three feet from her. Robin later says, I smelled it. Not good, all right? Has barnacles on it, and it just starts, it's like a bus coming up out of the water. Rum's like, wow, and I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> don't judge me, because you wouldn't have gone, my goodness, all right? So, and then, then the last thing, that tail flips up, just like the movies, I mean, flips up and then goes down, and we're like, because that, that tail could have come down at any time, it just went, you know, bye, you know, whatever that is. And, and I'm just sitting there going, and I realize I am, Everything is out of my control. I hate being out of control. I'm at the mercy of the weather or the whale or whatever that stuff is down there in the dark water. And I didn't really like it. <laughs> and where we left off last week was this. While, while Jonah got on a boat and ran from God, God didn't give up on Jonah. As a matter of fact, God pursued Jonah. And what that looks like is God sent a storm to Jonah, on, to the boat he was on, threatened to sink the boat. And finally, after fighting the storm... Tossing all their cargo overboard, eventually the crew agrees the only way any of us are going to get through this is if we throw Jonah overboard, and that's what they do. And chapter 1, if you're looking down at your program, ends this way. The last verse of chapter 1 goes, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And the key word there, Scott pointed out last week, is provided. If you have your, your Bibles on, you might want to circle the word provided. Earlier we read that, that the Lord sent a storm... So God said, I'm sending a storm your direction. Now we read that that same Lord provided something to take care of Jonah in the storm that he sent. So let me, let me just, all right, in case you have to leave early, let me just give you the three takeaways tonight. So if you're going, this is boring, I'm going to leave early and beat the supper crowd or whatever that is. Here are the three takeaways of where we're going to land today. Number one is this, and this is what we've already covered. If God does something to you, he will also provide something for you. All right? If God does something to you, and you can substitute, if God allows something to happen in your life, if God sends something in your life, if God spreads his fingers and lets something happen or touch your life, that same God promises, I'll be in the storm with you and I will provide what you need. And some of us don't like that answer. So here's the second takeaway for those of us who don't like that answer. It goes like this. Just because we don't understand or can't explain how or why something is happening to us doesn't mean there isn't a reason or an explanation. 
Again, that, this, is, this is not going to be a real emotionally pleasing talk, but it's the one that will hold up in your life when life gets really hard. Just because we don't understand or can't explain how or why, why is that happening to me? Or why is that happening to her? That doesn't mean there isn't a reason or an explanation. Just because I don't know the answer doesn't mean there isn't an answer. It just means I don't know it. Or I can't explain it. Or I can't understand why. And the third takeaway is this. Our unfaithfulness to God does not nullify his faithfulness to us. And that's a good thing. Our unfaithfulness, we run away from God and tell him to butt out of our life and we're going to do what we want. Our unfaithfulness to God does not nullify, does not cancel out, does not change God's faithfulness to us. And Scott touched on this too. In other words, our but eyes do not trump God, God's but gods. All right? But I ran from God. But I disobeyed God. That does not nullify. That doesn't have any effect on, but God is still faithful. But God rescues. But God is willing to use everything for our good, like we just sang. And tonight, what we're going to see is this. But I ran from God. But you, God, brought me up from the pit. But God saved me because salvation comes from the Lord. So, you know, look there in chapter 2 where we left off was Jonah hitting the water and God providing something to take care of Jonah. Like he promised he would. In this case, it's a special fish. And, and here's the thing. Some of you just kind of, you know, I, I saw it last hour. I'm seeing it right now. This is where you look at your friend and go, this is why I don't believe the Bible. Eat mint, fish. That's just, it does, I mean, that's, it's impossible. It's scientifically impossible for a human being to stay alive inside of a fish underwater in the ocean for three days. I agree. Okay, I agree. As a matter of fact, I heard Bear Grylls say the same thing this week on Man vs. Wild. I don't spend all my time reading the Bible, just so you know, all right? Bear Grylls said this this week. He said, it's the rule of three. A man can live three weeks without food, three days without water, but only three minutes without oxygen. So Jonah would be lucky to stay alive for three minutes, tops. I agree. Bear Grylls agrees. Heck, God agrees. He set up our bodies this way. So you're right. Jonah should have died. Jonah should have died instantly. The reality of his circumstances, the way it all works, that's an automatic death sentence to be thrown overboard in a storm and be swallowed by a fish. Die, death sentence, if God hadn't stepped in and done something and kept him alive. So you're right. The only explanation for Jonah not dying is God supernaturally jumped into the situation and did something, provided something, to not allow what should have naturally killed, should have naturally killed him, to not kill him. Now, two things as you wrestle through this, all right? First of all, if you believe there is a God, not everybody here does, but if you can stretch, if there were a God and he creates the universe, I don't think it's a big deal to create a fish. It's not like God's in heaven going, oh, I can do stars, but this fish thing has me stumped, Right? I mean, if there is a God and he creates the universe, this, the, I don't think he broke a sweat on, here's a special fish for this one occasion. Secondly, secondly, how about this? Can't you look back over the story of your life and see where if God had not jumped in and done something or changed something or protected you or provided something that just normally doesn't happen, you wouldn't be here, right? I mean, that's our story. In, in it, we've ended up in some situations, I know I have, that honestly, it would be easier to explain how it's possible to stay alive underwater inside of a fish for three days. It'd be easier to explain that than to explain why I'm still alive, why I'm still married, why I'm still functioning, why, why, why I'm still hanging on, right? Isn't that your story? So if this is a hard story for you, hang in, hang in there, don't dismiss it too quickly. 
Now, here we go. If you look at chapter 2, all right, in your program or in the Bible, chapter 2 starts with Jonah, in the verse, first verse, praying from inside the fish. The chapter is only 10 verses long, so nine verses later, chapter 2 ends with the fish spitting Jonah out on dry land. Now, I don't want to be critical of the Bible. I don't. There's lightning involved. It's just bad, all right? But anyway, here's my problem with chapter 2 of the Bible. Maybe it's yours. A lot of us read this and we think, oh, is that how it works? Uh, so what, according to the Bible, if I end up in a really tough, really hard, really difficult situation, all I have to do is like say a prayer, boom, I get out. Is that it? No. I mean, I guess sometimes it happens, but it's never happened to me. And I'd say most of the time, that's not how it works. See, here's the thing is, I I don't know if Jonah prayed the prayer that we're going to look at tonight in the first three minutes that he was in the fish before he suffocated (laughs) But had to wait three more days before the fish spit him out. That's what happens. Sorry to ruin the story for you, but I don't know if he did in the first three minutes and then had to wait three, three more days, which would be really frustrating. Or if Jonah prayed the prayer in the last three minutes because it took three days for Jonah to figure out, maybe I should ask God for help. But I, I wonder this. I wonder how many pages and chapters it would take, how long the book of Jonah would be. It's only four chapters long. I wonder how many chapters it would have in it if if we wrote down everything that went through his mind in three days inside of a fish, right? But in any case, from inside the fish, here is Jonah's prayer. Jonah chapter two, verse one. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Now it's really important to pay attention to this, okay? We just want to breeze through a prayer and get onto the more exciting stuff. But here's the thing, all right, over the past several days of Jonah's life, he's been stringing together a bunch of really bad decisions. Got to know what you want me to do? What me, you want me to do? No. I got to know what you want me to say? I don't want to say that. I know where you want me to go. I don't want to go there. I'm actually going to go in the opposite direction. But now Jonah's like in time out. All right? He's at, he's at a point in his life that he describes as, I'm in distress. You think? I think that's an understatement. And he says this, from the depths of the grave. In other words, I'm as good as dead. I've lost everything in my life. And in this situation, he finally makes a good decision. He calls out, actually says, he cries out to God. And here's his prayer. Help me. That's a good prayer, by the way. Help me. And here's what I want us to pay special attention to, to what Jonah is doing. Because most of us do the opposite. Most of us do the opposite. When our lives fall apart, maybe, maybe I shouldn't put a finger in your chest. When my life falls apart, when something horrible, life-ending or threatening or painful happens to me, many times my first response is not to call out to God. My first response is to blame God. Put a finger in his chest and get mad at him, right? God, why are you doing this to me? God, why don't you make this stop? God, I thought that if you loved me, you would keep hard, painful stuff away from my life and the people in my life that I love. Here, here's my real prayer. You better explain yourself to me. Right? That's what I tend to do. Don't you? And like I'll vote on whether you're allowed to do that or not. But not Jonah. At least not this time. This time is like, you have my attention, Lord. He knows what's going on. Look at the next few verses there. He says, you, God, you hurled me into the deep. I mean, the, the sailors threw me overboard, but that was you. I know you were behind that. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. He's not blaming God. He's just admitting, this is how I got here. I ran from God. I got on a boat, and God came after me, and now I'm sucking seawater. That's my story. And then we get to hear some more thoughts going on in Jonah's mind inside that fish. Verse 4. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. 
I, I'm in this fish, but I think you're in here with me. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep, the deep surrounded me. <laughs> this is gravity. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. That's detail, folks, right? right? To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Meaning, I think I'm at the bottom. I think this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> I don't think things could get any, any, any worse. I think I'm almost dead. But then these next two words change everything. But you, but God, but you, you brought my life up from the pit, oh Lord, my God. I ran, but God, you chased me. I sank down, but you, God, lifted me up. Verse seven, when my life was ebbing away, maybe another version of the Bible says it this way. When my soul fainted, when I was almost ready to quit, give up when I was almost dead. I remembered you, Lord. I remembered you. And my prayer rose up to you, to your holy temple. And here's Jonah's aha moment. It took all this to finally get him in this fish. Here's what he discovers. Verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols, and we talked about idols are are things that cannot take care of you, but you think they can. Those who cling or hold on to worthless, worthless idols forfeit, give up the grace that could be theirs. In other words, I... I'm in this fish and I just kind of, it's kind of all come to me. I've been clinging to, I've been holding on to or running after, counting on, depending on something that's actually worthless, useless, empty. I've been holding on to the wrong things. And in doing so, here's what's even worse. I've been missing out on something that could have been mine all along. God's grace, God's strength, being connected to God. And I could have had it all along, but it took this storm and this fish to get me to see that. Then we have a change. Look at verse 9. But I, so, but I ran, but God came after me. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I'll give you everything. What I have vowed, what I've promised, I will make good. Salvation, being saved, comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And that's what we'll pick up next week. But here's the curious thing if you look at those last couple of verses. Jonah is praying a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for saving me. But he's still in the fish. Nothing has changed. He's still got seaweed around his head and he's down at the bottom of the ocean. And he's inside of a fish. And that's hard to understand. Because on one hand, Jonah, and we know he gets out because he wrote the book. But anyway, because on one hand, Jonah is using words like he believes he's going to get out of the fish and go to the temple in Jerusalem and sacrifice stuff after this fish and storm go away. But he has no promise that he's going to get out of the fish. Or when or if it's ever going to happen. But but here's the other thing. Either way, Jonah considers himself, I've been saved. I've been saved. Whether I get out of this fish or whether I die here. He realizes that he has been clinging to the wrong things. Has been missing out on what God has been offering him all along. Namely, grace. And here's why. Because of the choices he has made. And because of those choices, God has had to go to drastic, extreme measures to do what it took before Jonah. And here's how Jonah puts it. Remember God. Oh, I forgot about you. I forgot about who you were. And he called out to him and he is saved before or even if nothing ever changes in his circumstances. And that's been the point of the whole story. Right? See, the reason that Jonah had run from God in the first place is Jonah didn't know who God was. Couldn't see him for what he was or, or had forgotten what God was like. This is, this is what God is really like. I, I, I forgot about that. And everything that had happened from that point on in Jonah's life, he forgot about God and ran. Everything that God did from sending that storm, which the Bible says God sent the storm, to Jonah almost drowning in the ocean was for one purpose. 
one purpose. Jonah, you forgot about me. And I want you to remember me. God wasn't punishing Jonah. You know, God wasn't writing an episode of Scared Straight, trying to, I'll, I'll, I'll put a fish in his life. That'll scare him and he'll be, stop sinning. No, no. It was a storm and it was a fish with a purpose. And, and here's the thing about the story. God knew exactly what it would take to get Jonah. And on the side would be this. And he knows exactly what it will take to get you and me to pay attention and to remember God and who he is. Now that brings up some questions, all right? Here they are. Question one, uh, why did God send that particular kind of, you know, he could have done anything to get Jonah back. Why did God send that storm and provide that fish for Jonah? And the answer is because God knows Jonah best. God knew what Jonah would take So God knew what he would have to do or allow in Jonah's life. But before he allowed or caused anything to happen in Jonah's life, he knew that he would provide for Jonah. Before the storm ever hit, before Jonah even got on a boat, God says, I'll be ready for you. I'll be waiting for you, as a matter of fact. But does he, here's the second question. Does he do that for everyone? Like, will he do that for me? Answer, yes, absolutely. Yes, he's waiting on you. All right, if you run, he's already there. Okay, next question, all right. So why does he send or allow one kind of storm to happen to those people and then send a different kind of storm to somebody else? And here's the thing is, I don't know. Why why does that happen to those people over there in that country? I I don't know. Well, why did my friend, this happen to her? Why did that happen? I don't know. I I don't know. And don't you hate that answer? I, I want to know. I want to understand my storm. I want to understand her storm and why he's going through that storm. I want to know what is happening. I I know, me too. Here's the hard truth. It's really hard to apply. Just because you don't know or just because you don't understand, that doesn't mean there's not an answer. It just means you don't understand. And you don't know. Maybe not yet. Maybe you will know and understand later. Maybe not ever. And that's where a lot of us get hung up. Some of us are mad right now. It's like, I don't like that answer and I'm, I'm, I'm all locked up. And here's what it is. Our tendency is to look around and try to figure out everybody else's storm. Why, you know? Why is that happening to her? And why does God allow things like that? Why does God allow children to be abused? And why does God allow AIDS? And why does God allow my grandma to have cancer? And why does God allow that car accident? Why? Here's an announcement that you're just going to hate. That's not our job. It's not our job. I guess here's the answers. Either they're running from God and God is chasing them or they're the victim of somebody else's storm and God is in that storm, their storm, with them, helping them, providing for them, rescuing them, using all things for their good if they will let him. That's what he does. Well, I don't see that. I know, but it's not your storm. God is in their storm. And if they're going to make it through their storm, the kid in Africa, the the lady fighting cancer, whatever that is, if they're going to make it through their storm, it's because salvation comes, being saved comes from God and you are not him. You're not the savior. All God tells us to do is that when we see somebody going through a storm, help them. And as we do, ask ourselves another question, a bigger question. It goes like this. What have I forgotten about and what do I need to remember? 
I'll give you some examples, all right? Back in Jesus' day, a couple things happened while Jesus was out there teaching. One was some, some priest in the temple in Jerusalem, the king wanted to make an example of him, so he slaughtered the priest in the temple, took their blood and put it on the altar to defile the whole temple and to send out a message to all the Jewish people. By the way, Rome conquered you, you're slaves, in case you forget that. Then a few days later, some, some men were walking by a tower. The tower fell over and crushed 18 of them. And, these, and some men came to Jesus. Jesus was out there teaching. And some men came to Jesus after he was done teaching. He said, excuse me, Jesus, um, there's a tower and then some people were murdered in the temple. Why? Why? We want to understand why these bad things have happened. Why did a storm hit their life? Why did God cause these things to happen? Why did God allow them to be swallowed by a monster? You know what? Jesus didn't answer them. He didn't answer him. He actually turns the question back on them and he asks them, asks them this. Do you think they're worse people than you? You think that's why it happened? He actually says, do, do you think they're worse sinners than you are? Is that how you think it works? I mean, if you're good, there won't be any storms in your life. But if you're bad, God drops buildings on you. Is that how you think it all works? Is that what you're trying to figure out? Are you, are you trying to answer this question? Why, does good, why do bad things happen to good people? Is that what you're trying to figure out? Is that what's got you all locked up with God? And he wouldn't answer him. And here's the thing. He knew the answer. He's God. I know. Jesus know why, knows why and how everything happens. He knows where every storm came from. Why every cancer cell divides. Why every marriage blew apart. Why cars cross the line and slam into other cars or into trees. And if necessary, and if it was the best thing to do to rescue you, Jesus could and would explain it to you and everybody else involved. If that was the best thing, he would do that. But the answer to why wasn't what they or we need to know. Because here's why. It wouldn't help anyway. It wouldn't help. And it wouldn't change anything. So Jesus is, you're spending way too much time trying to figure out all the whys. Here's a bigger question. I've got those guys. I've got the guys in the temple. I've got the guys under the tower. I've got that taken care of. Here's a question. What about you? What, what if... What if you or somebody you loved had been murdered in the temple? What if you or someone you loved had been, you know, smashed by that tower if they'd fallen on them? What if that same storm hit your boat? Because in this world, by the way, you will have storms. You will have trouble, even if you do everything right. So what would you do? What will you do when storms hit your life? Either because you make a big mistake or somebody else makes a big mistake and their storm lands on you. What are you going to do? What will you do? Who will save you then? Here's the answer. You got to remember, salvation is found in one place and one place only. Salvation comes from the Lord, no place else. And if God really is a God of love, He will do everything possible to give you a chance to be saved. Yeah, this is uh, this is where I got pitched into the into the waters. I took so much, uh, you know, kind of youthful pride and. And having so much uh, power and control of my own circumstances, that was all pretty, pretty much stripped bare. Uh, the day that, that all of this happened, and um, probably my first thought was, uh, "Come on, figure a way out. You, you can do this. Figure it out. You, you can get out of this." Yeah. So, but you didn't. No, no. <laughs> you find out I'm going to prison, and you find out I'm going for how long? Uh, my sentence was 41 months. You end up being about two and a half, three years, something like that. So, You go into prison with one mindset towards God. You came out of prison with a different mindset towards God. What 
what happened. I realized that I needed help, you know. When everything's been stripped away from you, all of the things within your control have been removed, um, you know, to run to God, you know, like a last resort. And that was a process, so it involves study, a lot of study. You know, from sunup, I'd be up, you know, before the chow bell, um, reading the Bible, and, and I would be reading the Bible before I went, I went to bed. How long ago did you get out? Uh, it was December of 2005. So tell us a little bit about what life looks like now. Oh, I just got chills. Uh, life is good, Scott. I, I, I still have a lot of things that cling to me, you know, from that lifestyle, a lot of battles that I fight daily. It's a long road, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not there yet, but I know the way. And uh, I've, got a, I've got a family, uh, a beautiful wife, uh, a, a gorgeous daughter who I adore. Um, I've got another daughter on the way. I've got this church um, that, that, that is, is, you know, it's home, you know. Everything I am now, all of the people that I, that I love so dearly, the relationships that I cherish, my spiritual health, all of that, it would not have been possible without that experience. As dark as that was and as, as overwhelming as it was at the time, you can't figure a way that this will ever be positive. And now looking back, it was the most profound and positive thing that ever happened to me. So, you know, like when Romans says, you know, God works all things together for the good, for those who love and trust him, you would echo those words. Sure, yeah, you gotta stand on those words. It's hard to, 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 to embrace those types of scriptures when every, the walls are crashing down around your ears. I'm glad, I'm glad he sat me down broke me off and, and put me in the corner for a while. So just to be clear, God allowing you to go to prison, you would say was a good thing, a good move. The, the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, I look at Christian and I, I've decided that I think our coffee servers can beat up any other church's coffee servers in the world. He's tough, big guy, but, um, you know, if you, look, if you look back, if you would have gone back to middle school or grade school or even high school in Christian's life and said, hey, write out your life story, do you think he ever thought that he would ever pin the words, prison would be the best thing that ever happened to me? You can't see it coming, but, but God can. And the purpose of everything is always the same. And those guys in the Bible that were murdered by the king, in the deaths of the guys who got crushed by that tower, in the life of Jonah, in the life of the sailors on the boat... In Christian's life, in your life, in my life, the, the only reason that God has caused or allowed anything in anybody's life and the thing that God provided that he provided, all was meant to serve the same purpose. And here it is. Remember God. You forgot. See God for who he is. Know that there's a God and that he, he is with you in, in the storm and in the fish. And that he loves you. And that even if you've run from and you've abandoned God, God has not run from you and God has not abandoned you. If God has done any running, it's running towards you. And he is a God who saves. See, if, if Jonah had died in the fish, if he never got spit up on the beach later, you know, the storm and the fish were still the right thing for God to send and provide. Especially if before, before he died, Jonah had remembered God and died in the fish, but after he died, has ushered into eternity with God in his temple. The tragedy would not have been that he died in the fish. The tragedy would have been if Jonah 
had not or had refused to remember God and died angry and bitter in the watery prison, right? See, it's the same with Christian's story. What, what if Christian had not been released from prison? Did God do the right thing? Because it didn't work. No, yeah, of course, of course he did. But if, if Christian had died in prison, a bitter, rebellious man, it would have been tragic. But it would not have been because God abandoned Christian there or didn't give him a chance. But if Christian had never gotten out of prison and eventually died in prison, but in prison put his trust in Jesus, Christian would say, in or out of prison, I'm, I'm saved. Now, now, let me clear up a couple things for us, all right? Then I'll wrap this up. A lot of us are confused about this word salvation. When we hear the word, you know, God saved me or, or salvation, we immediately think this, I got out of the fish. That's what saved means, right? My problem went away. My storm went away, preferably right away, if possible. I prayed, God saved me, bailed me out, and I went on with my life. That's what I think of when I say, God, please save me. Like, God, I broke the speed limit, and here comes a cop. Save me, right? I robbed a bank. I sold drugs. I got my girlfriend pregnant. I cheated on my wife. So please, God, save me, when what we really mean is anything from, God, save me, help me get away with it, all the way over to, just take the consequences away. But rarely when we ask God to save us, do we mean, hey, God, as I go through this, save me, take care of me, rescue me, keep, me, keep this from crushing me, use this to teach me something, remind me of who you are because I forgot, remind me of how much you love me, forgive me for my sins, change me and bring me back to you. Now, here, you know, I get the best emails from you guys. Not all of you, some of you know who you are, but the rest of you, I get awesome emails all the time about how God is using this place and some of the teaching from God's word to change big parts of your life. And a couple weeks ago, I taught on forgiveness. If you were here, I, about uh, how important it is to forgive, but also how difficult it is you know, to forgive people who have really done bad things to us, hurt us, right, and wronged us. And I got a lot of emails that week, all right? Some good, a few, a few bad, but mostly all good. And, uh, and here's the thing is, I received several emails, several, not just one or two, several, and they said this, thanks, Jim, I've been able to forgive God for what he did to me. And I understand what you mean, but I I need to clear something up for everyone. God has nothing to be forgiven for. See, whatever God has done, it was the right thing to do or, or allow, even though I may never understand it or like it or agree with what has happened. And I am not saying that everything that happened in your life is good. Or everything in your life was, was, was God's plan for your life or even God's will for your life. But God would not have let it pass through his fingers if he hadn't already said, I'm going to provide for you in it, and I'm going to use it for your good. Otherwise, he wouldn't have let it touch you. I will use it to save you. Maybe save somebody else. And what, I, what I think or what I hope you mean by, you know, I've forgiven God is this. I've given up my need to understand everything. Because I never will. I've given up my need to explain everything and I've come to the point that I trust God. I don't understand everything in my life. I can't explain everything in my life. And honestly, I don't think I'll ever say I'm happy or glad that certain things happened in my life. But I have come to the point that I trust God in spite of the fact that I don't understand. I've remembered Him. I know that He hasn't left me in this crushing, drowning circumstance to perish. He has saved me. Or He's willing to. And some of us, if we were honest right now, we would say, he's saving me right now. He's keeping me alive. You know, the other thing about salvation that I want to clear up is this. While the decision or choice to run from God is always yours. You can do that anytime you want. But you need to know this. Once you run, 
Once you say, God, no, I'm going to go do something else. Once you set in motion all the things that are set in motion by your decision, you don't have any more say in how far those ripples will reach or the manner or the time frame of how God is going to come after you or send or provide what you need. You can choose to have an affair. You have no, no say in how far the devastation goes. You, 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 can, you, can, you can get addicted. You can, you, you can steal this. You can do this. You can break your word. You, it's your decision. But once it happens, you have no more say in how many dominoes get knocked over by what, by what you've done. I mean, think about it, all right? You don't get to say, okay, that I, I, let's move on. I mean, Christian couldn't have gone to the warden and said, excuse me, sir. Uh, all right, I get it. I have learned my lesson. I won't do this anymore. Can I go home? It, it doesn't work like that. So here's the last teaching from this chapter. It goes like, and this is going to be really, it's going to be a hard teaching, but here it goes. If you, tonight, if you're going through a storm in your life, and maybe the storm has already hit you, and now you're sitting in your fish. Go with that metaphor for a minute. I mean, maybe it's a literal, maybe you're in prison. Because we have a lot of people in jails around here that listen to us online or people take CDs to them. So maybe you're literally sitting in prison listening to this talk. Maybe, maybe your, your, your fish, your prison is, you're living with a decision that a judge has put on you. You don't get a vote on it. You don't get a say. This is how many times you can see your kids. This is, how many, this, is how you can, this is how you can have to run your life. You didn't vote on it, but again, somebody out of your control made a decision. Maybe you're locked in a medical situation or a financial crisis. Whatever it is that is happening to you, that is totally out of your control, good or bad, fair or unfair, understandable or incredibly frustrating, please know this. The reason tonight that you don't have grace in your life or, or, or experience peace in your life, the reason tonight that you aren't experiencing God's presence in your life is not because God is not offering it to you. And it's not because, well, I would have peace if God would take my storm away. And I would have joy or I, I would have grace if, if God would change my circumstances and let me out of this fish. No, that is not why we don't have grace or peace in our life tonight. The reason is... Because we keep on choosing to run away from God and cling and hold on to the wrong things, hoping that if we can figure this out or do this on our own, we'll, we'll be okay. And we won't. And I'm not a prophet, but let me just tell you what's going to happen. And the reason I know this is because it's happened in my life a lot. Here's what, here's what a lot of us are going to do. You're going to go through an entire process of trying to understand why everything has happened in your life. To find all the answers and connect all the dots so you can explain why this has happened and hopefully make it make sense. But you won't be able to. So then you're going to go on to the next thing. You're going to get mad. Some of you are already mad. And you're going to start assigning blame out. This is my parents' fault. This is my ex-husband's fault. This is God's fault. This is whoever's fault. And you're going to do and say some things thinking if I do it and say it, it'll make it better, but it won't. You might go through four or five other steps, but eventually you're going to come to the end of yourself. And this is some of our stories, isn't it? And you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to give up and quit and die inside of your fish. Or you're going to come to the end of yourself and end up exactly where you should have begun in the first place. You're going to throw up your arms and you're going to cry out, God, I, help me. Save me. Rescue me. And he will. He will. It's probably not in the way you thought he would. But however he rescues you, however he saves you in your circumstance, in your storm, it will be the most loving and the most right way of saving you. So you can keep on running from God. You are a free agent, right? But you won't be able to outrun God. 
And your running doesn't mean that God is going to give up on you because He loves you. So here are the three takeaways in case you missed them. If you're going to take notes down, I promise at the top, there's the same three. If God does something to you, or if God allows something to happen to your life, if God spreads His fingers and lets anything touch your life, He also will provide something for you. And He'll take care of you. Second thing is, just because we don't understand or can't explain how or why something is happening doesn't mean that there isn't a reason or an explanation. We may not like it, we may not understand it, but in it, God will be there with you, providing the best way to save you as you go through it. Last thing, our unfaithfulness to God, meaning tonight, you're gonna, you're, you're, your response to this is, okay, I'm going to keep on running, okay. Our unfaithfulness to God does not nullify God's faithfulness to us. But if you really want to experience God's grace and joy and peace in your life sooner, run to Him, not away from Him. When I was a little kid, um, one of the first prayers, my dad's a pastor, my mom's the organist, I was in church a lot, but one of the first prayers I was ever taught goes like this, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food. It doesn't rhyme, but go with it, all right? Let us thank you for our food. And that's when I was a little kid, you know, I was like, God is great, God is good, let us thank you for our food. And then we go through the food. Thank you for the potatoes, and thank you for the salad, and thanks for the whatever, right? But here's the thing is, I was thinking about that. If God really is great, like we're going to sing about in a second, and if He really is good, and if He really does love us, then, then the greatest, goodest, most loving thing He could ever do to us or for us is to throw everything necessary at us. To get us to let go of holding on to useless things. Things that can't save us or help us. Anything that it would take to get us to throw up our hands and ask for grace and mercy and help in our time of need. Because he will say yes every time. Because salvation comes from the Lord. No place else. Let's pray. God, just looking out across this crowd right now, um, I, I think I'm going to speak a prayer that a lot of us are... are, are our voices are just choked up right now and we can't even say it. So I'm going to say it for us. Will you save us? Not from hell. I mean, we're, we're already saved because of Jesus on the cross. So I'm not even talking about that. I mean, save us from, from this thing that has swallowed us up. This, this thing that's going on in our life. It's just so hard. It feels like we are at the bottom of a pit. God, will you lift us up? Because I don't know how many more days we can do this. Will you heal us? Will you strengthen us? Will you give us grace and mercy in this time of need? God, I, honestly, we're asking to get out of the fish and to, will you take the storm away? But God, will you keep your word that if the storm stays for a long time and if I never get out of this circumstance, will you stay in here with me? Will you take care of me and hold me together and hold me up? Will you be the great God that I've always hoped that you would be but, and that you claim to be? God, I love you and I need you in my life. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.